the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us this morning and encourage us and give us understanding where we're confused or, or lack knowledge. We need your help. And not only do we want to talk about you, but we would like to get to know you. And um, we invite you to come and touch our lives today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last night we, did, we covered um, who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do. And this morning is on page 34 in the, in the buff booklets. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Can I just say that I think once you st we started yesterday talking about the Holy Spirit as a person, um, if you start to think about that too carefully, you can get incredibly uh, confused. The whole issue of the Trinity, that is, God is one God and yet expresses himself in three ways or through three personalities, is, is a truth I think we have to hold on to without necessarily fully understanding it. If we can understand it, we've got uh, more than human minds probably. And people have been discussing it and thinking about it for a very long time. And um, so don't worry if that brings in an extra confusion. I think as somebody has said that the Holy Spirit is not actually uh, an, an object to be discussed, but he is a person to get to know. And as you get to know him, you'll find actually understanding begins to grow. And so as, as we open ourselves up to him as a person, um, we'll find he actually begins to give us more understanding than we had before. But if you start to look at it objectively, you can get very confused. Um, but I believe if we see that he is a person to get to know, we find actually he begins to give us the understanding that we need. Because it, yeah. Okay, that's good. Let's let's just read the first passage in this um, in Acts chapter ten, which is page eleven oh five. Just to get us in. before we come back to this end later on. While Peter was still, this is verse forty four of Acts ten. While Peter was still speaking those words, that is, he was speaking to Cornelius and his household, who were Gentile um, folks, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And uh, this just reminds us of the essential nature of uh, what it was to be a Christian in those early days. It was to not only come and receive forgiveness for your sins, but it was to receive the Holy Spirit. And here's a very clear example of a group of people who received the Holy Spirit um, powerfully in such a way that other people knew. So that when we come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is already working in our lives. And we used that illustration last night of the little pilot light and the gas oven or the, the boiler. He's at work in our lives, but there has to come a point where that is turned up, where the Holy Spirit uh, drenches our lives, where he fully fills our lives, where he comes into our lives. So what happens when people experience the Holy Spirit? Let's look at these scriptures that are here um, on page 34. Firstly, Acts chapter 2 and verses 2 to 4. That's page 1093. <coughs> and uh, we read this last night, but we'll read it again. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be a tongue of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit 
enabled them. The, the sound of the wind and the sign or the sight of the, the fire, they're quite difficult things to quite understand because it, was, it doesn't say it was fire, nor does it say it was wind. But they, were, they, were, they heard something and they saw something. And these are symbols or promises to them of, of the Holy Spirit. The wind is a number of times, as Andy mentioned last night, the word breath or wind or spirit is the same word. So there was a sense of the, of the Spirit coming and they actually heard something and they saw this, these tongues of fire coming on every one of them. So God was picking them out individually. Uh, that's what they saw and heard. But then something else happened to them. They were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. It would be better translated and it would have saved us probably a lot of trouble if the translator had called us speaking in other languages. The difficulty with the word tongues, we're going to talk about it in a moment, is that it becomes rather a strange thing. We use the word in the English language, um, different tongues. It's our expression of different languages. So it would have been easier, probably more easy to understand if we had said that um, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. But um, there was then an impact not only on them, but there was an impact on the people around them. And then in Acts chapter 8, we see another incident of a group of... I'm oh, sorry, that's page 1101. So that was, that was the initial coming of the Holy Spirit on the early church there in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 8, we find another situation where Philip has disappeared off or gone off and he started to preach up in Samaria and lots of people are becoming Christians. Verse 14 of um, Acts chapter 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Remember, lots of people have become Christians. There have been great miracles and healings and evil spirits have been cast out. They sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, Peter was really rather angry with him and said, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You've no part or share in this ministry. Repent. And uh, then they continue on after that. It's quite an interesting thing because these people actually were believers. They had heard P Philip preach and they had responded in some way or other and uh, they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus but they had not received Holy Spirit. So it was quite possible, in, even in those days, so soon after Pentecost, for people to hear about Jesus, have their sins forgiven, see great miracles, healings and everything else, but at that point they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And uh, when Simon, when they, Peter and John came, they prayed with these disciples, they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 18, as we read, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given. In other words, something happened that he knew that it happened. Um, he, he observed something and he wanted it for himself for, for all the wrong reasons. But the truth is he did actually see something. So in other words, they knew something had actually happened. And uh, in the same way on the day of Pentecost, everybody knew that something had happened, exactly the same here. 
something actually happened. It doesn't actually even say they spoke in tongues, or they prophesied, but something happened um, that, that Simon was very aware of, and he actually wanted it, or wanted that power for himself. And then let's move on to Acts chapter 9, the next chapter. Actually, to get a full impact of that, if you can just hold, hold on to Acts chapter 9 and flick back to Acts 7, just one page. And you read in, in um, verse 57, the bottom of the uh, left-hand page, this was about Stephen who was being stoned. At this, they covered their ears as he was been preaching and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And uh, what is quite apparent is that, uh, well, let's go on to chapter 8. And Saul was there, verse 1, giving approval to his death, and then a great persecution <coughs> arose. And it's good to see the context of that, because I think personally that Paul's conversion is one of the most um, stunning evidences of the truth of Christianity. It's not often preached about, but if, even if we didn't have the life of Jesus, which we do have, or as much as we do have, the fact that this man who persecuted the church, who was a leading Pharisee, a leading uh, religious guy in those days, was so turned around, something quite dramatic must have happened. And then, so let's read in chapter 9 and verse 1. This is uh, just 1 and 2. Well, actually, yeah, we'll start there. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked for him for the letters in the for the synagogues of Damascus, so that he, if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is the Christian group, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And then we'll go over to verse 17. Uh, after this amazing uh, event on the Damascus Road, remember where he saw this light and Jesus spoke to him. And uh, he went into the city. In verse 17, Then Ananias went to the house where he was staying and entered it. He placed his hands on Saul, a brave man, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. So here we see a pattern in Paul's life. He's, he's uh, persecuting the church. He, he already knows that it's probably true, so he's, but he's persecuting the church. He goes on this road to Damascus to get hold of more Christians. Jesus meets him on the road. His whole life is turned upside down. He repents, gives his life to Christ. He then goes to Damascus and then Ananias comes, lays his hands on him, and he receives the Holy Spirit. So that's, a, again, a pattern. He, he believed, and then he received the Holy Spirit. And actually, just after that, then he was baptized. And this is the fourth example here in Acts chapter 19. And uh, find that. This is verse, Acts 19, 1115, and uh, verse, verses, what is it, uh, 1 to 6. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he asked them, interesting question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul again placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. 
again, that's an interesting little occasion. Uh, it's interesting partly because you wonder why Paul asked that question. He found some disciples. He must have thought to himself, well, I know these are disciples, but there's something a little bit um, missing here. There's a dynamic missing. And so he asked them this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In other words, it's quite possible to believe in Jesus without receiving the Holy Spirit. Those are distinct things. One is a belief, it's a commitment, and the other is a receiving of, of uh, the Holy Spirit of a person. So he's asked this very interesting question, did you receive Holy Spirit when you believed? And I think we were talking last night about if when people become Christians, <coughs> are they automatically filled with the Spirit? And obviously Paul is saying, no, that isn't true, but it's possible to believe and not receive. But when they did receive, through the laying on of hands, uh, it, we find again, something happened. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. And then we've already read in Acts chapter 10, where these uh, non-Jews, the Gentiles, were God-fearing, God they were good people, and, but they didn't know how to uh, go any further. And so Peter came to them, remember, and as he was preaching, the Holy Spirit came upon them and, um, and filled them. And then what did they experience, if you turn on to page 35? <clears throat> Firstly, when the Holy Spirit fell, everyone knew it. You can see the examples that we've already... Um, oh, not 35 in the Bible, 35 in the book, okay? People may not have the book with you. It just gives you some examples there. The Holy Spirit fell in Acts 10, and the believers among the circumcised were amazed. And remember I mentioned this now in Acts 8, that Simon actually spotted something um, happened. I think different things happen to different people. That's been my experience. But something happens that you know, and actually other people know. And it is different for different people. I think partly because we've all got different, um, we're different as people. Uh, certainly when I was prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit, I mean, I knew something had happened to me, but I don't think anybody else at that moment, I, I didn't, there's no great emotional upsurge, or I didn't throw myself on the floor and, sh and cry and think this is wonderful. I just was very British and said, thank you very much, that's it. But I, I, I knew I had received something, but I, I, it wasn't a very emotional experience, although there was a freeing of that later on. But what happened to me was that I, I did, uh, well actually in fact when someone prayed with me, nothing, I didn't speak in tongues, and the guy who prayed with me said, um, I was just walking out the room and he said, uh, would you like to speak in tongues? I didn't, I didn't even know what that was. So I came back and I said, well tell me about it, and he explained about this language, which we'll talk about in a minute, that I could have without ever having learnt it. And um, so I said, fine, yes, great, okay. So he prayed with me again and asked me to open my mouth and begin to speak, and out came this language. So for me, I knew that something had happened because, well, five minutes before I couldn't speak this language and now I could. So it was a great evidence to me. But different people will testify to you that when the Holy Spirit comes on them or fills them, they have different experiences. And certainly here in the Acts of the Apostles, some people were not told what happened, some people spoke in tongues, some people prophesied, um, uh, sometimes the place they were meeting was shaken. So there was a whole lot of different experiences, but something actually happened and they knew that something had happened to them. Very often there, there is an experience, as we got down here, well we'll look it up, shall we, page 117, no, um, yeah, let's look at that verse, 1175, is actually a real experience of the love of God, a sense of being loved and loving God in a whole new way. But that doesn't come immediately, that sort of grows in you. And that's expressed here in the book of Ephesians, um, in chapter 3. And verse 14, 
Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And he's equating here being filled with the fullness of God, that's filled with the Holy Spirit, with knowing the depth and the height and the breadth of the love of God. Not only that, that you love God, but that you know that God loves you. And I think that's one of the evidences, very often, of people who have received the Holy Spirit, have a new sense of the love of God for them and their ability to love God as well. And then secondly, um, you'll find that they were released in praise, and that often is the case. Uh, people begin to get excited. And obviously on the day of Pentecost there was great excitement because they actually accused them of being drunk. Um, and, and drunken people, if you watch drunken people, they're usually... Um, uh, there's a, there's a, I'm not suggesting you get drunk for a moment, but there's a lack of inhibition. Isn't that right? They, you know, they, they hug the hug the lamppost, and they sing a lot, and all the rest of it. No, there's something happened with this group of people that thought, I think they were just being rude. I don't think they did think they were drunk, but they gave the signs of drunkenness that was a, 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 a freedom. And praise is often a release or expression of um, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think um, that that happens to most of us. Most of us, are, we're all very different in how expressive we are. Some people are very expressive and some people aren't. And, but I think there is a fear in us that you know, it's all going to become very emotional. And most times you talk to people about the Holy Spirit and they have a fear about, it, about the Holy Spirit. It usually has something to do with emotions. I don't like all this emotionalism. And most of the scare stories we've all heard, because we've only heard, all heard the same ones probably, uh, have to do with um, uh, things getting out of control and all over-emotional. But that may be because we're a bit fearful of our own emotions. But when we fall in love, it is an emotional thing. I mean, when I got married to Lois, I said, in the presence of a lot of people, I will. Now, that's an attitude of my mind, an attitude of the will. And also, we got on well, so that was a relationship issue. But if that, sometimes, <laughs> but if, if that's all there was, uh, it'd be strange, wouldn't it, to have a, a love relationship with no emotion? You know, I don't want to get, we don't want emotion come into our relationship. Let's make, keep it distance. But you can't do that. If you fall in love with somebody, your emotions are stirred. And to fall in love with God, you know, we, we, most of us were brought up with the understanding that Christianity was the sort of thing you did. You go to church and do the thing. But actually it's a love relationship and that stirs your emotions. And what the Holy Spirit does, he's, help, he's making you fall in love in a far deeper way with God and so you emotionally feel stirred. And maybe in a way that you never have done before. And it's very important to actually allow that, that freedom because that's really what it's all about. And it isn't just something in the mind, or even just something with the will. It's funny how people always say the British are very unemotional, stiff upper lip, but you only have to go to Villa Park, you know, or up to watching a rugby match or something. You only have to go and watch a game and see actually somehow this wonderful lack of emotion seems to be taken away for a short period of time. People are very expressive about something they feel keen on. And uh, I, I think like in the church service when people come and and uh, we want, we're expressing love to God, which is what we do when we worship God. If people want to lift their hands, you think, oh, it's all getting out of control. <laughs> and yet if you went to Villa Park and people were going, 
with a scarf in one hand and going like this, you wouldn't think it was strange at all. And yet we want to express the love to God. Or to dance, and dancing was something often they did, that particularly the, the, um, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, would pr- dance a lot before God, because it's an expression of joy. And yet, you know, we find that so difficult. We could dance, if we had a bond dance on Sunday night at Queensbridge, we'd all think, that's okay. But if we said that, which we've done in the past, get rid of all the chairs and we'll dance, we think, well, this is meant to be a religious service. But it's an expression of joy. And that's why some of the Hebrew dancing is so fantastic, because they have learned to uh, probably more freedom than we have in so many ways. But we need to, to understand that often there will be an ex- expression of a, a freedom of emotions. And praise is that. Just uh, singing praise or speaking it out. Um, <clears throat> someone wrote an article in defense of supposedly cr- emotional meetings and said this, if a Christian comedy produces laughter, the film is regarded as successful. If a theatre tragedy brings tears to the audience, the production is regarded as touching. If a football match thrills the spectators, the game is reviewed as exciting. But if the congregation of a church is moved by the glory of God in worship, the audience are accused of emotionalism. There's something slightly inconsistent about that. But certainly with the early church, there was a real expression of praise and of joy and of excitement. And, and uh, that's one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit comes. And you see churches where the Holy Spirit has been free to work and to move. And one of the things that's noticeable is a, is a freedom um, in the area of praise and worship and emotion. Now, if emotionalism means that we're driven by our emotions, in other words, we've got to have a high, uh, we've got to get into a real sort of a state in order to feel we're really um, getting anywhere, and then we're actually driven by our, our emotions, and that's um, completely wrong. But the two must go consistently together. And you may be surprised if you if you think, well, this is not really me. You may be surprised. Well, I remember when. Soon after I was filled with the Spirit, I'd, I, would, I went to meetings, people were lifted their hands up like this, and I thought, oh, God, this isn't me at all. <laughs> I, mean, I came, went to a public school, please don't, don't make me do this sort of stuff. And, uh, and I can remember vividly, I was at one meeting just thinking, oh, no one's looking, you know, and uh, closed my eyes, which actually helps you to know no one's looking. <laughs> I just lifted my hands a bit, and it, I suddenly found it was actually incredibly easy to do it once you'd done it once. And it was a wonderful thing to do. And it wasn't really emotional, but it was saying something to God with my body. And it, it's funny how that is a major step forward, isn't it? Someone said, do you want coffee? I would have put my hand up. But to actually worship God was a bit more difficult. Um, but we take those steps. And there's a freeing that takes place in us. It's like the first time you ever pray in a meeting, out loud. Maybe some of you probably never done that, ever. But I, I, I can actually remember where I was sitting, in what room, and uh, almost the date that I first prayed out loud in the meeting, it was such a major trauma for me. Mm-hmm. But it was a breakthrough. Once I'd taken that step, I could do it again and again. But we're very held back, but the Holy Spirit wants to free us uh, more than that. And then thirdly, they received a new language. Acts 10 and verse 46 says, They heard them speaking in tongues. Maybe we could turn to page 1154. <coughs> And answer the question here, does the Holy Spirit, or does the New Testament approve of speaking in tongues? You'll find that in, um, back in 1 Corinthians 13, it refers to tongues as the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. So, this languages, gift of languages that people are given, it's difficult to know whether they are human languages or whether they're angelic languages, um, probably both. I, I was sharing last night in our group a number of instances that I've known in my own experience where the language was known by somebody in the group. 
uh, and that was it was a human language that was being spoken. But there obviously are angelic languages, which I never quite understand because I'm not quite sure whether there are lots of different angelic languages because I would assume they all understood the same language. But anyway, um, that's how it's described here in the Bible. But Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 14, um, in verse 5, he says, um, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. Now this chapter is written about order in the church, and any restraint on tongues, speaking in tongues here, is actually so that there can be order. And what he, why he says this is, because when you prophesy, prophesy is speaking a word from God to somebody else. So if I prophesy and I have a word for Maggie, I will be an encouragement to her. If I speak in tongues, speaking in tongues is primarily a prayer language uh, for me, my own personal prayer life, to help me to pray. We'll look at that in a minute. And so, if I'm just using it in a meeting, then I'm not helping anybody else. So Paul is really saying here, I want you all to speak in tongues, because that's good, but even more to prophesy so that you can actually be an encouragement to other people. In verse 39 he says, Be eager to prophesy, but do not forbid speaking in tongues. In other words, don't forbid it unless um, it's not helpful within a meeting. But um, uh, and verse 18 he actually says, I speak in tongues more than you all. So there's no discouragement against tongues. Tongues has become, got a bit of a bad name at one stage because it's a slightly unusual thing. Um, it's very unusual, really. But, uh, and therefore I think um, people begin to get very confused about it and wonder what it, what it is. But really it's just, it is a prayer language that is given to us to help us um, when we don't know how to pray. And it's the most wonderfully exciting thing because uh, uh, it's a wonderful evidence to us of, um, of God's presence with us and to be able just to speak out in this language. And it's a wonderful thing when you don't know quite how to pray. Um, I think somebody has noted that most of us have an average of 5,000 words in our vocabulary. Winston Churchill had 15,000 words, but all of us find our, our tongue very limited. Um, we don't often don't know how to pray, we don't know what to say, and so this language is given to us to help us. Um, it, in here it talks about when you speak in tongues you edify or build up yourself. That's, that's not selfish, that's purely because we want to grow in our lives. And as we use this gift, we find it helps us to, um, to grow in our Christian life. Um, in the notes here you'll see that um, uh, there are a number of areas that describe wh why we speak in tongues, what it helps us to do. Can I just say that when a person speaks in a prayer language, um, which is probably a nice term for it actually, they're totally in control. Everybody says to you, well, I just had to speak in tongues. Well, there's something wrong, seriously wrong. You're totally in control. You can start it and stop it when you choose. There are two uses. One is for personal use, that is, on your own, uh, just for your own prayer life. And the second is in a meeting where you might speak a message in tongues and somebody else or yourself brings the interpretation of that tongue, uh, which is often a prayer or a praise to God, sometimes a message, but usually it's a prayer or praise but it's being interpreted, so it's an encouragement to other people. But of course, as there are many other gifts as well, but that's, um, this is the one that's most noticeable here. Why is it helpful? Just uh, three things. Firstly, it helps us in our praise and our worship. Often we, we run out of words. Do you know what it's like when your Christmas comes and you have to write to somebody to thank them for a Christmas present and you say, Dear um, Grandma, thank you very much for your present. It's wonderful. It's great. It's best thing I ever wanted, but 
by the third letter, you, you've run out of words. <laughs> We're very inadequate in our in our language. We don't quite know what to say. And because you know, you try and praise God in your in English. You say, "Well, God, I think you're wonderful. You're great. You're almighty. You're powerful. You're everywhere. You're." After a few sentences, you can run out, or you have to say the same again. But when you the gift of tongues helps you to be able to praise God and exalt Him. And then, secondly. Um, I, it seems to me that we could help us to pray, and if we don't know how to pray, sometimes in a situation, think, how am I going to pray? Just don't know how to pray for this situation, so I can I can pray in a tongue, or I might be praying for other people. There's an interesting quote here from Jackie Pullinger, who works in Hong Kong, amongst mainly amongst drug addicts and the like, and she had this experience, and she wrote it in her book Chasing the Dragon. She said this every day. I prayed in the language of the Spirit, 15 minutes by the clock. I still felt it to be an exercise. Before praying in the Spirit, I said, Lord, I don't know how to pray today or whom to pray for. Will you pray through me and will you lead me to the people who want you? And then I began my 15-minute stint. After about six weeks, I noticed something remarkable. Those I talked to about Christ believed. I couldn't understand it at first and wondered how my Chinese had so suddenly improved or if I had stumbled on a splendid new evangelistic technique. But I was saying exactly the same things as before. It was some time before I realized what had changed. This time I was talking about Jesus, the people who really wanted to hear. I had to let God have a hand in my prayers, and it produced a direct result. Instead of my deciding what I wanted to do for God and asking his blessings, I was asking him to do his will through me as I prayed in the language that he gave me. And her conclusion was the relationship between her praying in tongues and the people she spoke to. I mean, that may not have been the case, actually, but that was certainly her observation, seems very likely. So, um, Paul is encouraging speaking in tongues because it's a wonderful gift from God, that we can praise and worship, we can pray for ourselves, pray for others, and we can uh, just exalt Him. And we will find ourselves built up as we use this particular gift. How do you receive this gift? The Bible tells us here we should eagerly desire it. And we should ask God and receive it. Now, my um, my personal feeling is that that God really wants everybody to speak in tongues. I think because it is a personal gift. It seems to me if, if it's good for personal use, He must want everybody to have it. It would be really strange not to have that. But not everybody does speak in tongues when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think there are many, many reasons for that, and um, most of them we don't know what they are. It, it's very rarely sin. It's just some blockage of some reason. It doesn't happen till later. I don't know where that would be. And I was very fortunate, maybe because I had no hang-ups at all, um, because I didn't know anything about it. No one had told me anything about speaking in tongues. But when I received the Holy Spirit, I spoke in tongues and I said, right away. I think for Lois it was about a year, wasn't it? Between the time Lois was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spoke in tongues. And that may be true of one or two others here. I don't know. But um, <coughs> certainly there is, sometimes there's a time lapse. Sometimes it's because people don't know what's got to, what it's all about. They think, they, I've met many people who say, well, I'd like to speak in tongues, but I'm just waiting for it to happen. And um, that suddenly I'll wake up one morning and I'll find myself speaking in tongues. But actually, what hap- because it's under your control, you ha- your mouth and your, your voice box has to be used. So you have to do it. And God gives you the language. And so you have to actually open your mouth and begin to say something. And uh, as you do it, it, it comes. Also, some people have started and they stopped because what they started with didn't make any sense. But if you've listened to any, a baby learning to speak, 
they don't make a lot of sense to start with. I mean, and we don't say to little babies, oh, shut up, you know, you're obviously no good at speaking, <laughs> don't carry on with that, you know, we don't, obviously try something else. We actually encourage them because we know that it's, it's um, just emerging, it's developing. And I think it's true with speaking tongues, often people get a few syllables or they get a sentence, they keep repeating it, and then after a bit it starts to develop and it starts to grow much more. Some people it comes out like a torrent, and some people it just comes out in bits and, and you have to develop it. But often people get very discouraged and so they say, oh, I don't think that was it, and they put it away again and don't bother with it again. But often it's because people have never tried. And, and we've often said to people, um, after we've prayed with them to be filled with the Spirit, we've said, why don't you go um, for a long walk? Because um, often when you're in, in the context of no one else being around, it's, it's much easier because you're not embarrassed. Uh, and if you're going to do this, sometimes it is, you feel a little bit embarrassed, but if you go off on, on your own and start to, in a field, you know, there's no one else around, start opening your mouth and saying something, it doesn't really matter because no one else can hear you, but if you have more faith then, and it starts to flow. I need to underline, that, although I'm talking about speaking in tongues, I need to underline that the gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's, there's much more to the Christian life than speaking in tongues. But speaking in tongues is an encouragement, so that's really why I wanted to underline it. And I think it's, a, it's great if, you can, if, you, if you're able to do it. Uh, again, here's a little quote again from Jackie Pullinger. Um, I gave in. All right, Lord, I said, this doesn't make sense to me, but since you invented it, it must be a good gift, so I'll go ahead in obedience and you teach me how to pray. After we finished praying, Jean said she understood what I had said. God had given her the interpretation. She translated, but it was beautiful. My heart was yearning for the Lord and calling as from the depths of a valley stream to the mountain tops for him. I loved him and worshipped him and longed for him to use me. It was in language so much more explicit and glorious than I could have formulated. I decided that if God helped me to pray like this when I was praying in tongues, then I would never despise this gift again. I accepted that he was helping me to pray perfectly. So uh, the gift is available, and, um, but we have to ask for it and then we have to believe and uh, actually take the steps to, to have a go and, and to be willing to persevere because sometimes it takes a little bit of time before that happens. And then just lastly, what are the common hindrances to receiving the Holy Spirit? And <coughs> we've written them down here on page 38. Just look at page 1043. Good to read this passage because it just reminds us again of how much God wants to give us things. Luke nine, Luke eleven, verse nine, top of page on left hand side of the top page. Sorry, right hand page at the top. Luke eleven, verse nine. So Jesus said to them, "I say to you, ask and it will be given you; seek and you'll find; knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, everyone who asks receives; he who seeks finds; and to him who knocks, the door will be opened." Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though, are even, you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, he's saying that uh, there isn't a sting in the tail like a scorpion. There's nothing that's going to hurt you. There's a fear. If I ask for this, it's going to be something that's not going to be very good. 
it's going to be, it's going to take over me, it's going to do something nasty to me. And he says, if a father gives good gifts to his children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it? Here's, here are the three common barriers. One is doubt. Um, I don't see why I should receive. I don't, I don't think I will. I, uh, I can't really believe that God would give that to me. I mean, little old me. Why should he give that to me? Um, but here Jesus says, if you ask, you will receive. And uh, how much more your Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so all you have to do is ask. And therefore, if you ask and you say, well, I'm not going to receive, then you're actually saying Jesus is lying to you. But actually he's made a promise. If you ask, you'll see. Many people don't have because they've never asked. So that's the only answer to doubt. Fear, a fear of what will happen to us, whether something will not very pleasant will happen. Well, here he's just saying, he understands that. I know what you're thinking. You might get not what you ask for, but you need to realize I'll give you good gifts. And thirdly, inadequacy. I don't feel I'm worthy. I don't know whether I'm good enough. I don't know if I've quite done enough. I need another go to a few more Alpha courses and, and uh, try and just get my brownie points up a little bit higher and then I'll be okay. But we know that being a Christian has nothing to do with being good enough. No one is good enough to be a Christian. It is to recognizing actually how bad we are and recognizing that forgiveness. And God does not give gifts to us as merit points for good behavior. He gives the Holy Spirit to us because he loves us and wants the very best for us. And so doubt, fear, and inadequacy are dealt with here in this passage and Jesus says, come on, come and ask. And it's interesting, in all the passages we looked at in the New Testament, whether it's in the Acts of the Apostles or whether it's in Acts chapter 2 rather, or with the Christians, uh, that bunch of people at Samaria or at Ephesus or Paul or Cornelius, as soon as anybody had an open heart to the Holy Spirit, they received. There was, there's no waiting or delay and uh, no long effort. In fact, when before Jesus ascended, we read last night, he said, wait in Jerusalem until. They had to wait a few days. It's the only time anybody ever had to wait for the Holy Spirit. But all everybody else had to do from that moment on was to ask. And as soon as they asked, they received. Because he is available and wanting to bless us and to touch us in our lives. There are, of course, let me just close by saying this, there are many, many other um, gifts, as we shared last night, that come when the Holy Spirit fills your life. And tongues, as there's only one of them, prophecy, words of knowledge, and all the other things. But often tongues is, is just the way, it's the opening, it's the beginning of a whole lot more. Uh, but for many people that's been, been the case. So as they've taken that step, then they find other things have happened. We have met a few people who have actually haven't spoken in tongues, but they've had words of prophecy for people very quickly after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But something will happen in such a way that you know and other people know. But don't confuse it with an emotional experience. I've often said to people, uh, or I've often had people say to me, well, someone prayed for me, but nothing happened. And I said, and actually nothing, it isn't that nothing happened. I said, what do you mean nothing happened? They said, well, when my friend was prayed for, she fell on the floor, or she said she felt this warm feeling from the top of her head right the way down her body, or she had pins and needles in her fingers, or he started to laugh, or, you know, in other words, they've got somebody else's experience to go by. So the assumption is, that's what happens. And then if you're waiting for the experience, you're disappointed. Instead of saying you're a unique individual and God will fill you in such a way that you know. And for most of those people, actually, they had received, 
but they had not taken, they hadn't recognized it or said thank you because it hadn't come in the package that they were expecting. So they had dismissed it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's a very dangerous thing to do, to assume something because the way we receive is different for every single one of us. Also, let me say this, I believe um, we've often had at church people come forward for prayer, for receive the Holy Spirit. And you can tell, you know, body language is incredibly important, so we're told. And you can actually tell people who are expecting to receive the Holy Spirit or not. I think I shared this one Sunday night, but you know, you come, people come forward and say, now, just stand at the front here and um, we're going to pray that you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And some people are like this. And their body language is saying, I'm not receiving anything, you know. <laughs> You'll have to drop a bomb on me if you want me to get... And very often those people don't. They don't. Uh, because there's something inside of them saying, I'm, I want it, but I'm, I'm, I'm backing off here. And there's some people who come and they think, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you say to a child, I'm going to give you a present, do you want it? You, you, you notice whether there's a sort of a grabbing, there's a running forward with the hands open because they're eager to receive. And I think it's, that's really important when we pray, and we will in a moment pray for people. Just in your own heart, you're actually saying yes. But if, if there's a sort of a closing in, you, you really won't receive a great deal because there's no expectation in your own heart for that. And we need to be people in our lives, not just at this initial receiving of the Holy Spirit, but in every area as we grow as Christians, we're always saying yes, more, you know. That's the nice thing about lifting up your hands, because you're actually saying, it's like um, a funnel, if you like, Lord, here I am. You know, I, I'm ready for everything that you have for me. The alternative is a closeness, which means I'd, I'm really locking in to myself. And the hope is that we go in our Christian life, we're more like a flower that is opening up than one that is dying. So uh, that's really important. Let me just pray for a minute. Father, we want to pray that um, for each one of us, this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit will be very, very real. And uh, that as we receive Him, we will not only have a one-off experience of Him, but we will go on and on being filled with the Holy Spirit day after day and week after week. We pray that you'll keep us from just looking for good experiences, but help us to um, want to develop relationship and to know Him and to obey Him and submit to Him and to enjoy his company in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.